The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. At that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was hungry. The tempter approached him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become loaves of bread. He said in reply, It is written, One does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and made him stand on the parapet of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took him up to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their magnificence. And he said to him, All these I shall give to you, if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. At this, Jesus said to him, Get away, Satan. It is written, The Lord your God shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. The Gospel of the Lord. If you were here at St. Anne or St. Vincent on Ash Wednesday, you certainly heard, and maybe in other places you might have heard as well, when the ashes were imposed upon you, the words were said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's the reality that, that repentance is a turning away from sin, and believing in the gospel is, is not a mental exercise, as I said, then it's a reality that we're living out the faith. That we turn away from sin and live the gift of our faith. During the Lenten season, the Lord calls us to open our hearts to his grace. But first, we must turn away from sin. To help us in that process, Mother Church gives us today a wonderful series of readings and reflections to help us reflect upon these two realities, sin and grace. Sin is a word that when we hear it, we don't often... I don't think, realize really what it is and what it does. You know, we see sin and, you know, we, we know sin. You know, we, we know we get upset with somebody, we get angry, or we say harsh words, or we gossip, or we have, you know, these, these various things which we, we know are sins. We don't really chalk it up as, as that serious a thing very often. I speak for myself, especially when, when I realize in my sinfulness, I don't realize fully the implications of what I'm doing. Because sin is incredibly destructive. And I don't think it's a big deal. I'm not aware of it in the moment. Because think about this reality. Adam and Eve committed one sin. One. And it wasn't they went out and just did like went crazy. It wasn't they did. They just didn't listen to God. They ate from the tree which God said don't eat from that tree. One sin. And all of human history is corrupted. One sin in every one of us, in billions and billions and billions of people throughout history, 
have been affected by it. And not just us, even God's creation. Because of sin, the Lord said, we didn't, we didn't read all the Genesis passages today, but because of sin, the earth brings forth thorns and thistles rather than just good fruits. One sin did all of that. And how easy it is for us to sin and shrug it off like it's no big deal. Even sometimes grave sins, grievous sins. And we don't, we're not aware of it. We must be aware of it. We must grow at least in our understanding of what sin is and what it does to us. Because if we don't understand what sin does to us, we don't understand what God's grace does to us. If we don't understand the severity of our sin, we don't understand the goodness of Jesus and what he's done for us. If my sin is kind of like, eh, not a big deal. Jesus saving me from my sin is kind of, eh, not a big deal. Sin is a very serious thing for us. And that's why Christ came to save us. He came to save us from our sins. So what is sin? Sin is a a choosing of the will. It's when we choose to do something, when we will it, even if in just the smallest of ways, when we do something that is contrary to the law of God. When God says, do this or don't do that, and we do the opposite. This is what sin is. And the effects of sin, St. Paul tells us very clearly today, and we heard in our first reading as well, the consequences of sin, the wages of sin, our earnings from sin, is death. Now, why is that? Is it just because, you know, you were bad and, and, you know, we did bad things, therefore I'm going to kill you, right? That's, That's not how God works. It's not God just being an angry God, just looking for his body that he can wipe off the map. We have to understand what sin is in order to understand why the wages of sin is death. The consequence of sin is death. Sin is something that separates me from God. It's something that God says, Brent, I want you to do this. And I say, no. And I push away. If God is life, and I push away from life, separate myself from life, what do we call that? Death. If we don't have life, we are dead. When we sin, the consequence of that is separating ourselves from life. And either in a small way or in a serious way, drawing into death. We experience physical death, all of us. But the more serious death is spiritual death. Today in the, in the reading, the, uh, the serpent, the, Satan, the evil one, the devil, he comes in, in response to, to Eve saying, you know, if we eat of the fruit of the tree, we're going to die. And Satan, Satan says, certainly you're not going to die. My understanding of our, our uh, scripture professor said, Actually, a better phrasing that is you're not going to die, die. You're not going to die the death. You're just going to die. And so that's what, that's what he's saying. He's basically like, you're not going to die completely. Just a part of you is going to die. The physical part. So then physical death becomes a reality. But the devil was lying because there was also spiritual death. 
They were separated from God. This is why when, when Adam and Eve commit the first sin, what is it that they do? They immediately go hide. They cover themselves with fig leaves and make, make garments to cover themselves from each other. And they hide from the Lord. And this is, this is what sin does, is it divides. Sin separates us from God. It separates us from other people. And it separates us even from ourselves. The reality is, again... When sin happened the first time, they hid from God. They wore clothing to separate each other. Because before that, they were naked without shame, as the scripture tells us. But now they need to hide from each other, to to veil themselves from each other, the man and the wife. But then also, now there's a division in their own hearts. As St. Paul would describe it, the thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, I do that. There's, There's division within the heart. Because now there's a war taking place between the flesh and the spirit. The things we desire and the things our spirit desires. Sin divides us. But it doesn't just divide us. It intends to bring us deeper into sin. There are two other consequences of our sins. First is it darkens the intellect. In other words, sin makes us stupid. You know that? How many of us, whenever we were younger, at some point, we, were got, we got caught in a lie? And so you just start digging your hole deeper to try to get out of your lie. So you keep covering your tracks and you get stupider and stupider and you, and you just keep on digging and digging and digging. And meanwhile, your parents are like, please tell me more. Right? And maybe parents or grandparents, maybe you've seen that. Your children are just digging the hole deeper and you're just going, uh-huh, this sounds really weird. Yeah, this sounds terribly stupid, you know. And, and this is the reality is sin makes us do stupid things because we, for, we separate ourselves from the God who is truth. And we start to just kind of spiral and make our own truth. And it's weird. It's corrupting. Sin makes us do dumb things. But not just that. It compels us toward them. It compels us toward more sin. Because the simple fact is that in the midst of our sin, we dig ourselves in deeper. And the church calls this concupiscence. Anybody that's ever been out in the field and your your truck gets stuck in the mud, you know that if you keep spinning the tires and you don't get any traction, you just dig in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And you've got to have something to pull you out. This is what sin does. Is we can commit one sin... And it's not that bad, you know, to, to some degree. You know, our inclination towards it is not that bad, at least. The sin itself can be great. But if we keep doing that thing over and over and over, it becomes a habit. It becomes, this is what I do. When this happens, here's how I respond. And sin becomes our normal pattern of behavior. In extreme forms, we can see that this basically happens with addictions. That people resort to one thing one time. Instead of doing something good and holy, they resort to, a, to, to, to basically sinfulness. And then they just go back to it again and again and again. And it becomes habitual, something that always happens. We see it also in our personalities. Sometimes we, talk, we chalk things up because that's just how I am. That's just who I am. But in so many ways, that's also how we've made ourselves. Because this is how I've responded. And sometimes our negative traits... They're not just part of our personality. They're part of our sin. It's something that we've made ourselves to be by virtue of our habits. We dig ourselves in. And so sin is serious. 
And we recognize that there are two types of sin. There's venial sin, the small stuff, as we like to call it, even though the small stuff is still big stuff because it's sin, right? The small things that we commit through the course of our day, you know, the reality is that those are things that are essentially like speed bumps. They slow down God's movement in our life. They make us have to kind of pull back from following the Lord's will completely. It's like when somebody has a, somebody has a boat or a trailer or something, they're pulling behind on the spillway, and you get to the bump, 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 and then I got to... And you get behind that blessed person and they're going 35 miles an hour because you can't go a bump on the speedway on the spillway with something behind you because everything's wiggling back and forth and going crazy. This is what happens with us in the life of God. If God, if, if we continue to pile up venial sins in our hearts, and our lives, it slows down God's grace. We're not as able to respond to it because we're so used to the sin. We're not able to move with God's grace. So we need the Lord. We need the Lord to help us to smooth things out. But there's another time where sin is not just like speed bumps or the parts on the spillway. The other times where sin is grave, that it is serious, that it is deadly. That's why we call it grave sin. It's because it puts you in the grave. This is the point, is, is that there are certain sins that are so serious that they don't, they don't just kind of slow down God's grace in our life. They separate us from God entirely. And if it's separated entirely from God, our soul dies. Period. This is what mortal sin does. Is our soul is basically dead instead of alive in God. God's grace is, is like, God's grace is like the world around us. It's, it's the dirt in the world around us. And if a hurricane comes, and we've got these beautiful oak trees and things, you know, these, these you know, beautiful, beautiful trees all around us. If a storm comes and a hurricane comes and blows one of those trees over and all the root, the whole root ball comes out of the ground and is just staying out there, not connected to the earth. We know because we've seen it within days, green turns to brown. And the whole thing dies. That's what mortal sin is in our soul. It was when we commit some grave sin, because we've done it. It's not that God is doing it to us. It's that I've said, Lord, I know this is serious, and I'm doing it anyway. And I separate myself from the Lord. I pull myself out of the ground and allow death to come and take place. Mortal sin doesn't happen, or it's, it's not fixed by just waiting it out. Mortal sin doesn't fade away if we just commit mortal sin and then a couple weeks later we're good to go again. Mortal sin is only resolved by coming to Christ and being replanted in the grace of God and brought back to life. This is the great gift that is the sacrament of confession. As much as it may not be a pleasurable experience to so many people, it is necessary for us if mortal sin is a reality in our life. Because without it, we are lost. So there's these realities that sin is happening in the world. And not just out there. It's happening within here. Our own hearts. But the good news is that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Where there is sin, God is bigger.
That there is no sin whatsoever that God cannot conquer. Because life is already victorious over death. Christ is already raised up from the grave. We're going to celebrate it in about six weeks or so. But Christ is already raised up from the grave. Life has already defeated death. Sin has been conquered. It just needs to be conquered again in me and in you. So we need Christ. And we need his grace. Grace is the thing that conquers death. It casts out sin. Grace is the life of God. It is God's life in a mysterious way given to our soul. This is how we can say God lives in us. is because God's life, his grace, is in us by virtue of baptism. In a mysterious way, we are connected to the Lord. It's like in our baptism. So at birth, every single one of us is affected by original sin. At birth, we are like the plants in the nursery that are sitting in pots, but they're not connected to the ground. We have life to some degree, but we're not not in God. We have physical life, but we are spiritually dead. But at baptism, at baptism, we come spiritually alive. We are planted in the heart of God, and his life begins to course through our veins. God's life is in us, and he gives us continued grace. This is what we call sanctifying grace or habitual grace. That we are habitually, continually in God's grace because we are plants in the ground, planted in the heart of God. And his life is flowing into us continuously. But there are also times whenever we need God's help in a specific way. Anybody ever have difficulties to the day where you you know there's something you should be doing and you're struggling to actually do it? You know? And you know, I, you know, I said I was going to pray a little bit more during Lent, but right now I'm kind of tired and I don't really want to pray. You know? Or we know we're supposed to forgive people, but right now I kind of don't want to forgive this person. You know, the, the hurt's still fresh. You know, the, the, all of these things that can arise in our heart where we can struggle because we know what we should do, but we struggle to actually do it. In those moments, God gives us actual, active grace. I've mentioned this before, I think, that our seminary professor described it beautifully as divine spitballs. That there are things where God sees that we are in a specific need and he hits us with grace. Right there. Grace into our soul. His life given to us in a particular moment for a particular need. Brent struggling with this particular, with with this vice right here. I'm going to give him grace to conquer it in this moment. And God does that for us all the time. Somebody gets you on your tail on the road, you can be upset, or you can just let it slide off. And when the moment comes and you can be at peace, God's grace just worked. <laughs> he gave it to you, and it was effective. Something changed. And the wonderful thing about God's grace is it contradicts, it counteracts the reality of sin. Because sin divides us, grace unites us. If I am in God, and you are in God, We are connected together in God. But if I separate myself from the Lord, you separate yourself from the Lord. We are separated from each other. We're both separated from God. Grace draws us together into the life of God. And it makes us what we call the mystical body of Christ. It makes us members of his church. But not just that. Grace gives to us the ability To do good things. Whereas sin makes us stupid, grace makes us smart. 
Grace helps us to realize a bigger picture, a better picture. Whereas sin, we just kind of dig ourselves deeper and deeper in the hole. Grace helps us to be able to step back and go, oh, (laughs) I see how this is working. And then choose a better path. Grace allows us to be sensible rather than foolish. And it also enlivens our mind. It inclines us to do the good again. By, by, by allowing us to see more like how God sees, we're able to live more like God lives. And rather than just be caught in the ruts of sin, we can live in the habit of virtue, a life of holiness. Because this is what grace gives to us. Grace gives us holiness. Sin is serious, y'all. But grace is abundant. It's here at Mass. It's here in the confessional. It's there when you receive the anointing of the sick. It's alive in you by virtue of your baptism. If you are not in the state of mortal sin, you are right now experiencing God's grace pour into your heart. When you pray your rosary, when you pass by the chapel and make the sign of the cross because you know Jesus is here. When you pick up your rosary, when you look at a cross, when you look at your prayer cards, when you offer a prayer. When in the midst of your day, you just simply turn to God and say, Lord, I need your help right now. He gives you grace. He gives you his life to be alive in you. Grace is incredibly important for us. Because without it, we don't have life. We have nothing. And we have nothing to look forward to. When we hear the story of Genesis, sometimes it can seem a bit harsh. You know, Adam and Eve commit one sin, right? And they're kicked out the garden. All this, you know, they're, they're, they gotta, they're, they're going to physically die now. They're kicked out the garden. They can't have, the, they can't have the, the tree of lasting life. It seems like God is really just being super vengeful that day. But do you realize that all of those things are actually signs of God's love and mercy? I mean, think about it. This life is good, but it ain't perfect, y'all. You know that. We have sufferings. We have sickness. We have people dying. We have sin that we struggle with. We have all of these things where life is difficult for us. And why would God want to keep us here with that? God created us for more. He created us for perfection, for holiness, for joy, for lasting peace, for abiding presence. Not for suffering and for tears. Death was the means by which God is able to bring the human person to an end in this life so that he can bring them to a better place that is to come. God said, you can't eat of the tree of the garden that will bring you everlasting life because I don't want you to live forever humanly in your sin. I want to redeem you for something better. Death, in the strangest of ways, in a physical sense, is mercy. Because the Lord, in his love for us, knows that we were created for something much greater than a world tainted by sin. We were created for heaven. And by his grace, we can get there. It doesn't have to be heroic. It doesn't have to be insanely hard. 
It means simply doing our best each day to live in God's life, to allow his life to live in us. And when we fall short, we come to the confessional and admit it. And God plants us back in himself, fills us with his life again, and sends us off to continue to to do whatever it is that we do, to live our life. So sin has affected every single one of us. But the good news is, We have a savior from our sins, the man Jesus Christ, who comes to conquer sin, to conquer death, to give us grace and to fill us with peace.